Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our absent reader is Cara tonight. She's back somewhere in the building. And uh, hey there. And um, our topic is mountains in Scripture. Uh, we talked last time about how the Lord communicates, the fact that He always communicates in parables in order to leave us in freedom. So I wanted to look at a specific instance this time of the way that Scripture communicates. And so we'll be looking at mountains, various different passages about mountains. Uh, I wanted to make, uh, before we pray, just three quick announcements. Number one is that we've had an email list for this um, for this broadcast, just for especially for people local, but whoever who wants to get a reminder or if there's a cancellation, snowstorm, whatever, um, that uh, email list uh, was, as Cara said, not just decimated but centimated. It, for some reason, that that list just was. There was a few. There's a remnant, you know, <laughs> left on it. But but so. Um, if you could, um, the best way for you to do it, to see whether we're having a broadcast or not, would be to check the Facebook page, which go to facebook.com and it's Spirit and Life Bible Study. And we'll post there uh, the day of or even a day ahead of time to see whether there's some. Um, that's the best way to reach us. Apologies about that. We're trying to figure out how to reconstruct that list. Number two is that I want to express gratitude to the Lord for the fact that uh, this is our sixth anniversary since these Bible studies started. We started on July uh, 28th of 2010. And it's amazing to see. It was like, uh, you know, 10, 10 people sitting around the table, no broadcast, no audio recording, you know, nothing like that. So it's fun to see. You know, we have 36,000 uh, friends on Facebook and uh, what is it, 48,000, 49,000 views, something like that on Ustream. And, and so it's really, really a blessing to see how the Lord has moved. I appreciate that. And number three was just a little heads up that, uh, especially for those of you who are local, but this would also apply online, that on September the 11th of all days, on 9-11, which is a Sunday this year, uh, Chelsea Odner and I will be talking about uh, giving sort of, at New Church Live, we'll be giving uh, sort of little sermonettes that go with some of the songs from my new album, Clear Shining After Rain. So it'll have music from it that we'll be playing, and, uh, and there'll be talks about the spiritual messages and stuff like that. So that's, that's good fun. That's coming up on 9-11. And so will you join me for an opening prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together in your name. You are the Word, the Word made flesh. We pray to see your quality, Lord. What is it about yourself that you are expressing through this image of mountains in Scripture? Thank you, Lord, for being among us. Amen. Amen. Very nice to be with you all. Pleasure to be sending out love to those of you who are out there in the internet world and getting the podcast, the audio, and so on. Very, very nice to be with you. Um, so how the Lord communicates, what, what is the Lord communicating through this image of mountains? One of the things that strikes me very much in Scripture is that it was written by many, many, you know, scores of different people over thousands of years. 
and yet uh, you'll see that some of the same kind of images come up uh, again and again and again. Did the writers know, you know what that image meant? Did they just feel called to write it that way? How, how was this engineered? It's sort of an amazing thing. But we'll look at what, what mountains are. There are many, many passages about mountains. Um, just for a point of reference, um, there are, Abraham has two different names, Abraham and Abram. And all told, there are some 285 mentions of Abraham. And he's one of the major figures in scripture. Uh, mountains are, f there are 551 mountains and another 126 hills. Uh, you know, like it's a major, major thing in scripture. You know, we won't scratch the surface of it tonight. Uh, we'll just be picking out certain passages. And the first category I wanted to look at, I've, I've got different categories and the first is by far the largest, but I want to look specifically at, um, because of this idea that Scripture is communicating in a parable, I want to look at passages where it's very hard to take the word mountain literally, like the thing that's being said about it. We all know, you know what a mountain is. We've experienced mountains and so on. But the things that are said about mountains in Scripture, some of them are mountain-like and some of them are not mountain-like. They're, they're a little different. They're not things that mountains normally do. And to me, that's a hint of the fact that there's a deeper layer of meaning in it. So let's start all the way in the left of your Bible in uh, Genesis chapter 7, verse 20, a passage that has baffled uh, many people who take the Bible literally. Like, how could that be? That, that couldn't be literally the case. This is about the flood the story of Noah, and so on. Let's start there at, uh, oh, verse 18, just for a little, uh, verse 17, just for a little context. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. Mm. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. So there was 40 days and 40 nights of rain, just a tremendous amount of rain fell. Go on. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. All the high hills were covered in water. Now, scientists have calculated, I don't know those stats, but they've calculated how much water it would take to cover all the hills on the face of the earth. And then look at this next thing here. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. So the mountains were covered 15 cubits. Isn't that, if I do my math, 22 and a half feet deep. And you know, you know like it was, it, it was over 20 feet. They were buried. Every single mountain on the face of the earth was buried. You know, the Himalayas, every, everything is buried under over 20 feet of water. The amount of water that that represents, you, you know, you can see it in your mind's eye, can't you, friends? The, there's not that much water on the planet. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter what you do. You don't have that, you can't, you can't do that. It, it's, it's not literally the case. And let's read verse 21. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man. That's right. There's only Noah and those who were in the ark with him and those animals that were in there were saved. You know, that famous story. So it's interesting that it says the mountains were covered 
if that doesn't mean a physical flood, then what does it mean that you'd have all this water and that the mountains would be covered uh, 15 cubits deep and all the high hills are covered? You know, what would that mean? So we'll just ponder as we do these kind of mysteries. Let's turn to the right and go to um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Mm. Little different kind of passage. But I, this is really haunting to me, this, this kind of passage. I don't know if I'll be able to articulate why. But um, uh, let's read verses 1 and 2 there. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And this is what Moses says. Listen to what he says. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai. Now, what is Sinai? Sinai is a mountain where the Ten Commandments were given, a mountain in the middle of the wilderness there. Okay, the Lord. Now, if this is about the Messiah coming into the world, did the Messiah come from Mount Sinai? No, he was born in Bethlehem, right? You know, he, he wasn't out in the desert in Mount Sinai. But it says the Lord came from Sinai. And dawned on them from Seir. Seir was another mountain that was up in the east uh, across the River Jordan. He, dawned, he came from Sinai and he dawned on them from Mount Seir. So these, these two mountains, okay, go on. He shone forth from Mount Paran. Mount Paran is another mountain to the east of the, of the Jordan. Uh, why is he coming from these mountains? He's coming from three different mountains, or he comes from one mountain, he shines from another one. You know, what, what's going on? Go on. And he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Mm, fiery law. So the Lord came from Sinai. Now, when you think about the Ten Commandments and what that embodies, the idea of the Lord coming from Sinai, that, that's powerful. But what does it mean, these other uh, eastern mountains, the seer and Paran, that he came from there. And look at what it says in verse 3. There's a little clue there to the meaning. Yes, he loves the people. Oh, that's what it means to come from the mountains. Mountains mean love. He came from love. The fact that it was over in the east means that he was coming from love, from a position of love. He wasn't coming into the world from a position of uh, I need to tell people instructions. You know, he did lots of that. But that's not where he was coming from. He was coming from love, from, from the will, from the power of the heart. He loved the people. Mm. So we'll just, you know, breeze by that and keep going. Let's go to the Psalms in the middle of your Bible. Skip a whole bunch there and look at Psalm. I'm just picking out from the hundreds and hundreds of mountain passages ones that struck me as being particularly uh, non-literal. Like one that's non-literal about that is that when Jesus came into the world, he did not physically come from Mount Sinai, nor Mount Seir, nor Mount Paran. He didn't, he didn't do that. You know, we know what happened. That wasn't it. So why is that text saying that? Why does that say that? It, it's because there's a deeper layer of meaning and it has to do with love. Look at Psalm 97. Uh, oh, Mm. All right, we got to read right from the beginning of this. It's just too powerful. I apologize ahead of time for the power of Scripture. You know, go ahead. The Lord reigns. 
Let the earth rejoice. Okay, do does the earth is that the people on the planet? Is that the physical dirt? Okay, interesting. Go on. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Okay, islands, happy islands, sure. Mm -hmm. Clouds and darkness surround him. Mm. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Okay. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. Now, when Jesus walked through the Holy Land, was the fire? Was there a fire that burned up enemies everywhere he went? Was there a fire? Were people catching fire? You know, no, not literally. Okay, go on. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The earth sees. Is it non-literal? The earth see the earth sees and trembles. What is going on? What is it talking about? Go on. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Mm. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Now, is it recorded, good friends? We have four different gospels. We've got a lot of evidence that came from that time. Is it recorded? That when Jesus went near a mountain, it melted. Did that happen? It didn't happen. He went up the mountain for the transfiguration. Even there, when he was shining, face shining like the sun, clothes shining, did it melt? No. The, no mountains melted on earth. It would be recorded in, you know, if any mountains had melted. And yet, this is what it says. And interesting, it says the presence of the Lord. The mountain melted like wax. What an image. Just like whole thing liquefies. So these are passages that are difficult to take literally because we already know what happened when the Lord came into the world and that didn't happen literally. So what is it talking about? Look at Psalm 114. Mm. Psalm 114. Oh, I think we've got to read this whole thing. It's not very long. Psalm 114. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house Oh yeah, of, that's that story in Exodus, right? Okay. The house of Jacob from a people of a strange language. Okay, okay. All right. Judah became his sanctuary mm. and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Oh, interesting. Jordan turned back. Okay, so we do have a story about the parting of the, you know, the Red Sea and the Jordan River and they walked across and all that sort of thing. Okay. All right, verse 4. The mountains skipped like rams. I, I don't remember that in the story. I don't, don't remember mountains skipping around like rams. When did that happen? The little hills like lambs. Oh, I see. They were like younger. Yeah, so, so they skipped like lambs. The hills were younger than the mountains. So, you know, of course. Right, go on. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? Mm. O Jordan, that you turned back. Mm. O mountains, that you skipped like rams. O little hills, like lambs. Okay, now we get something about the presence of the Lord again. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. Mm. At the There's presence... the trembling again. Isn't that interesting? What, what is this trembling? Tre so the earth is going to tremble at the presence of the Lord. Go on. At the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. I just love that because the, there it is in the Old Testament. It's written much later than the time of Moses or Exodus or the events that it's talking about. But it's such a poetical retelling, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. And the mountains in a very important point and this brief, brief summary of the whole Exodus, the mountains are skipping like rams and the little hills like lambs. I would submit that that is non-literal. I think that's, that's non-literal. Um, 
Let's turn to the right and go to Isaiah. So you go through Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and get out into Isaiah. Let's go to chapter 25. Isaiah. Hmm. We'll start at verse 6, shall we? And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces. A feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. Mm. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people mm. and the veil that is spread over all nations. Wow. Go on. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears, will wipe away tears from all faces the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Go on. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For on this mountain the hand of the Lord will rest, and Moab shall be trampled down under him. Yeah. As straw is trampled down for the refuse heap. Yes. Wow. Okay. Good old Isaiah. No, nobody quite does it like Isaiah. <laughs> the, um, isn't that amazing? So on this mountain there will be this tremendous feast. And I'm amazed at that verse 7. He will destroy in this mountain the, that, that surface of the covering that's cast over all the people and the veil that's spread over the nations. What, what, what veil? It's non-literal but there's a covering over everybody and the Lord is going to take that away and, and that, that veil and he'll swallow up death in victory. And then people will say, this is our God. We've waited for him. So powerful, isn't it? And on this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest, his hand on the, on the mountain. Mm. So it's something about love. Something about love. We'll explore a little more what that is in a bit. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 34. Hmm. Let's read verses 2 and 3 there, through two, 2 to 4, I guess. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and his fury against all their armies. Hmm, that doesn't sound so loving, but go on. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Hmm. Also, their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses. Oh, that's a nice image. <laughs> and yeah, the, the stench will rise from their corpses, yes. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. The mountains will be melted with their blood. <whistles> so the stench rises up from their corpses, and the mountains are melted with their blood. Wow. Mm. Let's go on, just see if anything else non-literal comes up. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, okay. and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. Mm. All their host shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. Fruit from a fig tree. Yes, it seems sort of humble image at the end there, uh, compared to the heavens rolling up and all these dead bodies, and the mountains melting with their blood. Mm. Wow, what, what is that? It's a very violent, very disturbing image. What is that talking about? We'll probably never know. Let's turn on good friends. 
to Isaiah 55. I try to hit them all at the end, but I can never remember them all. But, but Isaiah 55, but hopefully you'll get a gist of this evening. Um, okay, this beautiful thing about how the word comes down. You know, Isaiah 55, I love it. Verse 8, where my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways. And the it, rain comes down, the snow from heaven, and does all these wonderful things. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. And verse 11, shall accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Verse 12. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. Yes, right? I mean, if they can skip, they can certainly sing, right? If they're going to be skipping around like rams, why, why don't they sing? Go on. Uh, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Yes, that's right. Uh, you know, that's what's going to happen when the Lord's word goes forth, that the mountains and hills will break forth before you into singing. Uh, I submit that that's non-literal. It's, it's talking about something, but it isn't talking about physical piles of stone or something. Um, uh, 64, Isaiah 64. What do we have here? Verses 1 to 3. Oh, hmm. that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Hmm. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Now, see, I'm just trying to read mountain passages. That's all I'm trying to read. And yet we've had repeated verses in here that talk about the presence of the Lord, the earth shaking, you know, the same kind, like, did the authors know, oh, be sure when you mention mountains, to also have the earth trembling. And so, you know, what is going on? These are, these are written over hundreds, if not thousands of years. What's going on? Go on. Um, Verse 3. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. Yes, there you go. And in the old King James, I don't know why, but in verse 1 and 3, it says that the mountains flow down at your presence. Interesting expression, not just shaking, but they flow down. The mountains flow down at your presence, it says. Mm. Okay, good. We'll take that under advisement. Uh, turn to the right and go to Jeremiah chapter 9. So the Lord says in verse 10 here of Jeremiah chapter 9, I will take up a weeping and wailing for the mountains. Oh, the Lord feels bad. He's grieved about the mountains. Something about the mountains is making him cry. Hmm, what is it? Go on. And for the dwelling places of the wilderness, a lamentation, mm. because they are burned up so that no one can pass through. Nor can men hear the voice of the cattle. Both the birds of the heavens and the beasts have fled. They are gone. Mm. Yes, that's right. So, uh, wow, he's really, do you think he's really crying about the mountains? That's it? Just like the physical mountains or something is, is about the, the wilderness? Or is there something else that he's talking about there? Uh, so let's hold that in our minds. 
and go to Jeremiah 51. It's a long book there. Go towards the back of Jeremiah. I want to go to 51. Uh, start at verse 24, I guess. Mm, and I will repay. This is the Lord speaking again. And I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they have done in Zion, in your sight. Zion, the by Lord. the way, was a mountain. It was a mountain where Jerusalem was built. Go on. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth. Oh, says the is Lord. there a mountain that destroys all the earth? I'm against you, you, destroying mountain, says the Lord, which destroys the whole. There's some mountain that's destroying the whole earth. What's it talking about? Go on. And I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the rocks, and make you a burnt mountain. Mm. They shall not take from you a stone for a corner, nor a stone for a foundation, but you shall be desolate forever, says yes. the Lord. Right. That's right. So a mountain destroying the earth, all right? Okay. So you see what I'm talking about, right? These are not sort of literal, typical things that people, people say, oh, I love the mountains. Or, you know, we just talked to some friends last night who just got back from the mountains in Switzerland. They said, oh, it was so beautiful. It was so quiet up there. You know, that's what people say. They don't say they melted or they, <laughs> they don't say they were singing or skipping around or anything like that. People don't say that. It's not normal. Ezekiel chapter 6. I like this one. This is good fun. Start at the first verse there. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. Oh, these are bad, bad mountains, and somebody needs to do something about it. Somebody should be telling them to stop it. Ezekiel is called to go prophesy to the mountains. What is going on? Go on. What should he say? And say, O oh, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Hear the, yeah, that's going to work real well. Hear the word of the Lord God, you mountains. Go Thus on. says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed, I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. Yes, and it goes on. We get some more carcasses and destruction and so on. And it says at the end that you shall know that I am the Lord. Prophesying against the mountains. Amazing. Okay, go to Ezekiel 35. I just, I don't know. I just find this so fascinating to look through Scripture and just see these different things and see the sort of echoes of these different themes that come out and try to tell what, what is being said because there's a language here. That's what Swedenborg says. There's a language of correspondences. This is part of the parable. This is how the Lord communicates. This is a specific instance of communication about mountains. Look at verse 1 there. 35 verse 1. And 35 verse 1, yes. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. Oh, good. Well, this is the very Mount Seir that we just read that the Lord was coming from, that he was dawning from there. And now the prophet's being told to prophesy against that mountain. I don't get either one. You know, what is going on? Go on. And say to it, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against you. I will stretch out my hand against you and make you most desolate. 
I shall lay your cities waste, and you shall be desolate. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Yes, and it explains that, that there's a perpetual hatred. Look at that in verse 5. Let's read that. Because you have had an ancient hatred. An ancient, at uh, this mountain. Now, we saw before that a mountain was associated with love. Here's a mountain associated with hatred. An ancient hatred. Interesting. So the Lord is prophesying against it because there's this, it, it, the mountain is an ancient hatred. Go on. And have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, when their iniquity came to an end. Mm. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you, since you have not hated blood. Therefore, blood shall pursue you. And we, we read about mountains being melted by blood. Well, here's more mention of blood in connection with mountains. Go on. Thus I will make Mount Seir most desolate and cut off from it the one who leaves and the one who returns. And I will fill its mountains with the slain. Just how many corpses, how much death? Fascinating. All this death associated with these mountains. Yeah. Go on. On your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines, those who are slain by the sword shall fall. The sword. Uh, the Lord said he was going to bring a sword against the mountains. And there's, there's a sword. So you see what I'm saying? These are not normal. It's not a normal, you know. I mean, you could, you could run out with full force and hit a mountain with a sword. Nothing very dramatic is going to happen as a result of that. You know, uh, it's, it's not a smart thing to do. Uh, and yet that's what these scriptures are talking about. 36. So you get all that, right? That's about Mount Seir. Ezekiel's prophesying, you get it. And then look at the beginning of verse, uh, chapter 36 there. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. Oh, and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. Because the enemy has said of you, Aha! The ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God. Because they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and you are taken up by the lips of talkers, and slandered by the people. Mm. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, and the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Yeah, so again, you get the same list, don't you? Mountains, hills, rivers, valleys, you know, you get these same lists in these different passages. Fascinating. And, uh, oh, just skip down to verse 6, just in the interest of time. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel, and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, and the valleys, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury, because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. Hmm. But you, O mountains of Israel, O mountains, mm -hmm. you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For Most mountains don't literally have branches or bear fruit. You can see that it might be metaphorically speaking about the fact that oh, there are trees on the mountain. But doesn't it say, O mountains of Israel, you will shoot forth your branches 
you will bear fruit. Didn't it say that? Mm -hmm. Yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are at hand. Yep. Mm. Okay, good. Excellent. Now, we're going to dip into the minor prophets. This is good fun. They're only called minor because they're so small. Let's go Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, the number six, right? Getting into the middle there. I want to go to Micah chapter one. See, these are different authors. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We had, you know, talk of Moses. We had David and the Psalms and so on. Here's, here's Micah. Uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 3. Let's start at verse 2. 2. Hear, all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Listen, O earth. Haven't we read that tonight already? Yep, go on. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him. Ah, more mountains melting. And the valleys will split like wax before the fire. Wax? Now those, that other mountain melted like wax, didn't it? Here the valleys are splitting like wax before the fire, okay? Like waters poured down a steep place. Okay, sure. That's, that's excellent. Go on. All this is for the transgression of Jacob hmm. and for the sins of the house of Israel. Hmm. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? See, there's this theme in Scripture that we haven't talked about yet tonight about the high places. Uh, I'm sure if you've read a lot, you read back in the kings and places like that about all these bad kings who don't take down the high places. There's this bad worship going on in the high places which are up on the hills and the mountains, and they should take that down. And he's saying here, what are the high places of Judah? Isn't Jerusalem the high place of Judah? Um, it's just an amazing kind of way of communicating. Let's turn to the right. You're in luck, good friends. We want to go to Nahum, the very next book there. Chapter 1. Uh, let's read verses 4. Oh. Okay, let's read verse 3. Come on there, Nahum. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry hmm. and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. And the mountains quake before him. The hills melt. And the earth heaves at his presence. Mm. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so there's more mountains shaking, hills melting, so on. You know, I'm just saying this is just my list of things that seem non-literal to me. Uh, the very next one is Habakkuk, as luck would have it. Let's go to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 10. The mountains saw you and trembled. Look at that. What are all these trembling mountains? A lot of trembling mountains. Okay, go on. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice. Yes, look at verse 11. Is this literal? The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows, they went at the shining of your glittering spear. Yeah, 
these are all, this is highly poetical, highly correspondential language about what's going on. Um, okay, uh, go through Zephaniah and Haggai to Zechariah. We go all the way back to chapter 14 there. Uh, this is the bulk of what we're reading tonight. We've got a few more scriptures, but, but um, okay. Now, look at chapter 14, verse 4. This is about the Lord. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. There's another very important mountain, isn't it? The Mount of Olives. And his feet will stand on that mountain. Okay. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. Now, wait a minute. Is it literally true that Jesus' feet stood on the Mount of Olives? Absolutely. That's well recorded, right? It's in all the Gospels. He stood on, he physically stood with his physical feet on the physical Mount of Olives. Did the Mount of Olives split? Is there any record of it like it split down the middle? No, it didn't. So say that again. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, hmm. making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the <laughs> south. <laughs> that didn't happen. You know. So what's going on there? Hmm. Go on. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus, the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Striking how often mountains are mentioned in connection with the Lord's presence. He's going to come and all these things are going to happen. The mountains are going to shake. He's going to come to the mountains and so on. Uh, that seems to be a running theme. Let's go into the New Testament to Mark. So you go through Matthew and get to Mark chapter 11. Famous statement that the Lord makes. And remember that we read last time, if you were here or not, it doesn't matter. The uh, Matthew 13, uh, 34, I think it is, says, without a parable, he did not speak to them. Everything he said was a parable. Listen to this parable, verses 22 and 23 in Mark 11. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So if you were looking at this from a literal standpoint, you'd have to be pretty depressed at the state of your own faith because you could stand there and say to the mountain all day, go into the sea, and it's not going to do it. You know, it, it's going to stay where it is. So what does he mean? If, he does, if he's not making a literal statement there, what does he mean? Turn to the back to Revelation. I love it. We've gone from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, Revelation. See, these mountains are in the whole scripture here. Uh, let's go to chapter 8, verse 8. This is a vision that John has, and he's up in heaven, and he sees angels. He's seeing all these spiritual things. And what does he see in 8, verse 8? Then the second angel sounded. And something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Yeah. So the Lord was just talking about throwing mountains down. Here's John seeing in the spiritual world, and there are burning mountains being thrown into the sea. 
what's going on there. And look at 21, uh, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. I list this one in the non-literal because John's in a vision. He says he's in the spirit. So this is a non-physical mountain. He's seeing some great and high mountain and the great city, the holy Jerusalem, is descending out of heaven from God. So um, that is a list of passages about mountains that I think are difficult to take non-literally. And there's one particular passage I want to go back to that we didn't read yet, but go back into the middle of your Bible. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 2 because we've sort of glimpsed in what we just read that there are good mountains and there are bad mountains. The Lord is going to come from three good mountains. Mount Sinai, Mount Seir, Mount Paran. Uh, the holy city, New Jerusalem, is going to come down from a good mountain when the Lord went up on the mountain to be transfigured. We assume that was a positive image. And yet there's all this talk about other mountains, bad mountains that melt, that tremble, or that are destroying the whole earth, or that Jesus is weeping about them. He's so distraught, or he sends his prophets out to prophesy against them, you know, because they're bad mountains. I was fascinated in Isaiah chapter 2 here. Let's just start at the beginning of the uh, chapter here. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Listen to this. Mm. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. On the top of the mountains. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills. Above the hills. The water went above the hills, didn't it? And here's the Lord going above the hills. All right. And all nations shall flow to it. Mm. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. Zion is a mountain. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city that sits on that mountain. Thank you. Okay, that's Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Uh, let's wander over to verse 11. You know, only eight little verses later. Okay, and what do we read here? The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Mm. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up. Oh, proud and lofty and lifted up. Okay, go on. And it shall be brought low. Oh, okay. Upon all the cedars of up, blah, blah, upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan. Oh, okay. Upon all the high mountains. Oh. And upon all the hills that are lifted up. Oh. Upon every high tower and upon every fortified wall. Upon the ships of Tarshish and upon all the beautiful sloops. The loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of man shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Nice pronunciation, dear reader, of sloops there. I thought that was particularly nice. <laughs> and um, 
The haughtiness, this is about pride, isn't it? Isn't that about pride? It's so clear. It says that everything lofty and high, the proud and everything shall be cast down. And it says the mountains, the hills, all these things, it shall be all be, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Now you see, within 14 verses, mountains were incredibly great and truly horrible. See what I'm saying? They were great because it said the mountain of the house of the Lord will be on the top of the mountains. Everybody's going to go there and they say, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. Within less than 10 verses, the mountains are terrible and they have to be cast down because they're proud and arrogant. They have to get out of the way. See, Scripture is using these things to represent things that are good and things that are evil. I, I just think it's a wonderful passage. And so we saw when we went through all those other scriptures that some were good and some were bad. Here they're side by side, side by side, the good mountains, the bad mountains. So uh, it, it's pleading with us to read in a deeper way than just a simple kind of literalism. Um, I want to just do... Uh, Maybe six more scriptures if you can stand it. Let's turn to the right and go to Daniel, shall we? So you go through Ezekiel, you get to Daniel. I want to go to Daniel chapter 9. Um, I just wanted to show you that, that there's, there's a, a refrain that comes up again and again. We've already seen it in the other passages we looked at. But if you look in the middle of 9 verse 16, it calls the city Jerusalem your holy mountain, right? Mm -hmm. And down at the end of verse 20, before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. There's a holy mountain. And we read some other holy mountains. Uh, you don't have to go there if you don't want, but Zechariah 8 verse 3 uh, says, Thus says the Lord, I am returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts the holy mountain. Zion's going to become a holy mountain. Uh, so that's part of his, his promise. The, Jerusalem will become a city of truth and Zion will become a holy mountain. And look in the New Testament, almost all the way back to the book of Revelation. If you go left from the book of Revelation, you go through the epistles of John, you get to Peter. I want to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. This is Peter. Peter was one of the three disciples who went up the mountain with Jesus at the transfiguration and saw him transfigured. And he refers to that event in his own epistle. Look at 2 Peter 1, verse 18. He's describing this. And Look he, at verse 17. Let's start there. For he received from God the Father, sorry, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. Oh, that was a holy mountain. Peter, referring back to it, says that was a holy mountain. We don't know which mountain they were on. There were several different mountains in the area. But that was a holy mountain. I, presumably because he saw the transfiguration happen on the top of that mountain. That was a holy mountain. So I thought that was powerful. And I just wanted to read maybe three more scriptures. Go back to Isaiah, if you can, in the middle of your Bible. Uh, you remember we had that passage about 
the feet on the mountain, the Lord's feet on the mountain. Look at Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. This might be a passage that's well known to you, friends. Mm. Mm. I can't find it. 52, verse 7. That's right. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your God reigns. Mm. That's right. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet. Why the feet? Why the feet and mountains? Do feet and mountains necessarily go together? The feet and the, and the mountain any more than anything else? We had another passage about the hand. His hand is on the mountain, didn't we? Here it's the feet. Uh, turn to the right and go to Jeremiah chapter 13. Verse 16, mm. this is sort of an opposite kind of statement. Uh, look at verses 15 and 16. Hear and give ear. Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God because, sorry, give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness. And before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. Here's feet on the mountains, but they're stumbling and the mountains are dark. What feet and mountains, what is that? Uh, give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness, before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. Go on. And while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense darkness. Mm, okay. And uh, you don't have to go there if you don't want. Friends, it's kind of tough to find. I'm going to go back to Nahum chapter 1, verse 15. It just says, Behold on the mountains the feet of he who brings good tidings, who publishes peace. A very similar sort of passage, but it ends with this. For the wicked shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. So there's something about this feet that the Lord is coming and this wickedness, evil will be taken away. So you've been very patient, good friends. It's about time for some answers. I hope I can supply a few. Um, 550 mentions of mountains, another 126 hills. What is Scripture talking about? And these non-literal passages. And part of my purpose tonight is that if you look at the non-literal things, then I'm hoping that when you read, I hope this happens to you after Bible study in general, uh, so when you bump into those words, you go, oh, there it is. Oh, there's a mountain. Oh, there's, you know, there it is again. There, there's that mountain. Um, the mountains have to do, they have to do with love. We saw that. We, had to, we saw that they were associated with love. We saw that they were associated with hatred. Mountains, love and hatred, which are two opposite things. Uh, Swedenborg explains that mountains in Scripture mean the things that we love the most. They are the highest, they're the, the greatest form of love. If it's a good love, it's ultimately, why is the Lord coming from mountains? Because he came into the world uh, driven by a love, a desire to save the entire human race. That was a mountainous love. It was an infinite love. It was massive. That's where he came from. So that dawning from Mount Seir, you know, that sort of shining light that comes from that amazing love that brought him into this world. It wasn't only about truth. It was about love and his desire to save the whole human race. 
So that's the mountain, his love for the whole human race. He wants everybody. He said, come, you know, the, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be on the top of the mountains. This will be the highest love. There will be a time in the human race when this is the chief love, is a desire to join with the Lord in that love of saving everyone, if at all possible, just feeling that concern and love for, for the entire human race. Uh, come up to the mountain of the Lord. Um, the law shall go forth from Zion. That truth comes out of that love. That's, that's those, those Ten Commandments are laws of love. They're laws of how to have the Lord in your life. So the Lord is going to come from Sinai, and that, that law is going to go forth from Zion, it says, which is another mountain. Um, the opposite of that love is just a huge love of self. And as you may have heard me say before, love of self in Swedenborg's writings does not mean giving yourself a nice bubble bath at the end of a difficult day. It means uh, really seeing yourself as the only worthwhile person. And then there are all these little bit players, these little ants, these meaningless people who, who you know, little extras on the set of your grand movie. Uh, and the forms that love of self takes, the most vicious form, I noticed that one of those passages talked about Babylon. And Babylon in particular is the use of religion to dominate and control other people, to get people to bow, you know, to do your will, to give, you know, wealth to you, to, you know, this is, this is what Babylon is. It's the use of religion as a sort of an external thing in order to just funnel everything into your desire to dominate over the whole world, dominate over heaven, take the Lord's power away, and all this kind of stuff. If you read what Swedenborg has to say about Babylon, it's really amazing. And um, that is the worst kind of mountain. There are various different kinds of mountains of love of self, and those mountains do shake. See, these are human mountains. These are mountains in the human heart. That's why they don't behave like physical mountains entirely. That's why they melt when the Lord comes there. Even that bizarre image of melting from all the blood, blood has to do with divine truth, or in its opposite meaning, it has to do with falsity, false teachings. And so when the, you know, if that mountain takes over, where the whole thing is going to be about dominating, throwing the Lord off his throne and taking over and everybody worship me, Kind of, you know, that's, that's a really bad mountain. And the Lord comes into the world to cast that mountain down. He says, if you pray, if you pray, if you have faith, you can pray that that mountain be torn up and cast into the sea. Sea here means hell. You can cast that mountain into the sea. Because that when you realize, whoa, that love of self is from hell, cast that thing down. It's not about controlling people. Everybody should be free before the Lord, follow their own conscience and everything. It's not some control thing. It's not some huge ego thing. Those mountains, we all suffer from those in, in small ways, and then there are some people we see who suffer from them, from them in big ways. The Lord comes to deal with those mountains, and those mountains shake in the presence of the Lord because they realize this is a power greater than I am. This is actually a holy mountain. This is a holy love, not that unholy, profane love, uh, you know, that, that mountain of self-love and desire to control people, 
which is particularly wicked when it comes in the form of religious control. So how would a mountain destroy the whole earth? Well, a mountain of love, the earth means the church, a mountain of self-love can very well destroy, the, you know, a physical mountain is not going to, it's part of the earth. It, it's not going to destroy the earth. A mountain's not going to destroy the earth. It's not going to happen. But a mountain of self-love can destroy the church. Absolutely. A mountain of, of self-love has done it several times over the course of history, and the Lord's had to come into the world and, and deal with that. Uh, how about the mountains? Uh, it, it's, it's physically impossible that the water would cover all the mountains and all the hills. But to have every good kind of love completely buried in false teachings, you know what I mean? Just like an inundation from hell of all this water that covers every hill, every good kind of love of the neighbor, every mountain of love to the Lord just gets buried, you know, 22 feet deep uh, in, in all this falsity. And only sort of little Noah and the few little people in the ark are sort of able to ride up on, on top of that and, and come back down. Um, so why does the Lord weep over those mountains? He wants us to have his love inside ourselves. So he weeps for that other love. You know, his, it, Swedenborg says that the Lord's worst enemy is our love of self. You know, that, that great I am, you know, kind of thing. Like that sense that you're absolutely the center of the universe and nobody else really matters. And, and uh, the Lord weeps over that because it's so much his enemy. That gets so much in the way of this beautiful collaborative heaven thing that he's trying to create. Uh, that we talked about in some Bible studies a little while ago, one called the Heaven Project. By the way, uh, back on November 21st of 2012, we did a Bible study called Give Me This Mountain that was on similar themes about the Lord uh, coming into this world. If you want to check that out on our website, spiritandlifebiblestudy.com. Uh, so, it's all about the mountains. The Lord came to deal with the bad mountains. What happens over time, Swedenborg says, is, and Scripture teaches this inwardly, if you look at it in, in a deep spiritual meaning, that what happens over time is that the church starts out good, like a given religious era will start out good. It loves the Lord. It loves the neighbor. Things are good. Then over time, that mountain turns bad. So the same mountain, Mount Seir, the mountain where the Lord came from, can turn into a place that he sends Ezekiel to prophesy against it, you know, because it turned upside down. And that's that image, that recognition that, no, this thing belongs in hell. This is totally upside down. This is about the self being at the top. The Lord is at the bottom. The things of religion are dominated over by this, this, this overweening drive to, to dominate. Uh, that's, that's a mountain totally upside down. The faith in the Lord can turn that thing upside down. Physical mountains, you know, uh, but this is a more important thing, the spiritual mountain uh, that you need to do that. And you notice what it says again and again in those passages. Wasn't that beautiful? This is our God. We have waited for him. This is our salvation. Or you say to the mountain, your God reigns. You know, like this is about the Lord being at the center, getting things in the right order, getting the Lord at the top, love of the neighbor there, his desire to help the whole human race, and that comes down into love of the neighbor. And then the valleys, you know, 
the, our, our, our relationship to this world, to money and, and all that kind of stuff gets into the right place. And then our love of self, just our own little ego, you know, it's important and it should come along for the ride, but it shouldn't run the show. You know, then you've got the valley in the right place. You've got the, you know, you've got the rivers in the right place. You've got the hills in the right place. You've got the mountains in the right place. Uh, that's what the Lord wants to do for us when he came into the world. That's why he gave the Ten Commandments from a mountain. That's why he was transfigured on a mountain. You could see an image of his love. That's why uh, he wanted those high places torn down, which mean that negative attitude, that worshiping self on the mountain, that's bad. You want to worship the Lord on that holy mountain. And that's why the holy city, New Jerusalem, is going to come down from a great mountain. The Lord wants to share all of his love with us. And you see what I mean? That doesn't just mean the Lord wants to give us love and we receive it. No, he wants to give us his radiating love so that we have that radiating love and we're a little beacon of that love for other people. That's what he wants to give. The Lord wants to give us his love. He wants to build that mountain in us. And the last point I'll make is that just that the, all the mention of the feet is because it was his lower self, his outermost self that came into the, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet, who come, the feet of him who comes and publishes peace. How beautiful. Even his outer self, was. his feet were in the right place. He was not an upside down person like all the rest of us. He had the right thing at the top, the right thing in the middle, and the feet were at the bottom. How beautiful. That's why his feet are said in the, in the vision in the book of Revelation to be of bronze. They're not feet of clay. Not feet of clay. Feet of bronze, all the way on the outside, he's good. He's good from top to bottom. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the one who comes to publish peace. That's what we need, friends. How are we going to get to peace without that love? We're not going to do it. We're not going to be able to get there. We've got to have that love in our hearts. We've got to cast those mountains down and let the Lord build his mountain, his holy mountain inside us so that we can come from that love to other people. It's so important. That's why scripture talks so much about mountains. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down to this world, showing us what right way up looks like, getting your lower self at the bottom so that it serves, getting the love of God at the top, ruling where it should be. The mountain of your house is on the top of all the mountains. That's the chief love. It's the love that runs the universe it's the love that created us. You made us able to receive that love and convey it to others. We pray for that love to come into our hearts, Lord. Make us that mountain and help us in your name. Cast aside that mountain of the love of self, the desire to dominate others for our own purposes and all that. Cast that mountain down and build your mountain inside us, Lord. Our Father who art in the heavens, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so we can see that mountain ourselves.